Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can worship you, we can lift up your name, that we can pray to you, that, that Lord, that we can have a relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, that the Lord, that there's nothing that will separate us except our sin, Lord. But apart from that, Lord, nothing can separate us, Lord. Nothing can separate us from your love, is what your word says. Lord, I pray that this morning, Lord, that we would just be a people, Lord Jesus, that are ready to receive, ready to hear, Lord. Lord, that we come this, morning, this evening, Lord, with just hearts just open to you, Lord, to have you speak to us. May you move powerfully, Lord. May you just remind us, Lord, of, of the fact that, yes, there is an enemy, Lord, but you are greater than the enemy that we have. And as your word reveals to us, Lord, that he's going to have a lot of plans against us, Lord, but, but, Lord, nothing will prevail, Lord. Lord, we pray for your spirit to fall afresh upon this place. I pray for your fresh baptism, your filling of, by your spirit, Lord. And we pray for this city and we pray for this church and we pray for the communities around us, Lord. Lord, have your way. Move powerfully as we intercede, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Esther chapter 3. And as you're Opening your Bibles to Esther chapter 3, we're, we're actually introduced, or will be introduced to the next character in this amazing book of Esther. And the man that we're going to meet now is, is called Haman, and he is an Agagite, and he comes now into the screen, into the scene, I should say, and, and as he comes into the scene, we're, we're told of this man, and we're told of his plans, and we're told of his conspiracy against the Israelites. Let me summarize who Haman is. Haman is the Hitler of the Old Testament. Let me repeat that. He's the Hitler of the Old Testament. Let us not be confused with this man because that's exactly what he is. He's a, a pawn of Satan that is used to exterminate the people of God. So what he is, he's a pawn of Satan and he desires to exterminate God's people. And for both the Jew and the Christian, we know that we are in a spiritual battle. And if you don't know this, I'm just confirming it to you, but we are in a spiritual battle. And our battle is never against flesh and blood. Even though we, we have these, 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 these people that are coming against us and we think to ourselves, that's our enemy, that's who hates us, that's who wants to destroy us. In reality, there's a spirit that's behind these people and this the spirit that's behind this people is, is leading these people in order to destroy, discourage, take out the people of God. You know, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the devil and his army. And that's why we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says that we don't battle against flesh and blood. But our battle is against principalities, our battle is against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And this is speaking of the devil and his demons himself. 
And this enemy, I want you to know, he only has one purpose. And the one purpose that he has is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John 10.10. 10. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his purpose. And for us as Christians, we have a target. The Jews have a target. Every, anybody that is God's people, remember this, we all have a target. And what happens is that if, if God is moving through you, you know that the enemy wants you out and, and his attacks are only going to increase. They're only going to grow in magnitude. And I know that many of us here are, are going through some heavy warfare, heavy spiritual battles. And even as we go through these battles, it appears that there's no hope. It's hopeless at times. And, and we think to ourselves, God, are you going to get us through? Are you, are you, are you going to do these things? And, and can you do these things? And I want to remind you that God is able. And that's the title of today's message, that God is able. And we must understand that, that our God is greater than any enemy. He's greater than Satan. He's greater than the demons. He's greater than anyone else. Everyone else has been created. He is a creator and there's no one greater than He. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. And though we go through the fire, though we go through the storm, God always promises victory. God always promises victory. You know, He promises to Israel and He promises it to us also as a church. And, and as He promises it to Israel, we can see this in, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 and 2, where He says, But now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. And we have a perfect example of this. Remember Daniel's three friends when they were thrown into the furnace. And what a miracle that was. The reminder that as they were thrown in there, right, Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, there's someone else in there, and that, that person doesn't look human. That person looks like... Like he's a God and, and they came out and nothing was wrong with them. Not even their clothes was burned as a reminder that the Lord reveals to us that he can do these things. He's more than able. And for us as a church, look at what he promises us as a body of believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And as we have this, just a reminder that, you know what, we don't quit. You know what, no matter what we're going through, you're going to have victory. No matter the issues, the problems, the, the trials, the storms, the giants, all of these things that, seem, that, that seek to destroy you, understand one thing, we're going to have victory, and that's a promise from Jesus. And so what do we do? We remain steadfast in Him. We're immovable. We, we're always abounding in the work of the Lord. Continuing to serve the Lord. And, and how many of us, as I'm going to read something to you, this scripture I, I believe is so very apparent and so very appropriate for, for the circumstances that some of you are going through. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. 
where he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know, again, the reminder for all of us is, is not to lose hope, is not to lose faith. And as we're going to see in the story of Esther, yes, there is going to be victory. There's going to be victory in the Lord. But today, what we see is the enemy gaining the upper hand. We see an enemy that is experiencing victory. And, and as we say this, right, as we read this, it's going to seem hopeless for the Israelites. It's going to be hopeless for the Jews. And they're going to think to themselves, where is our God? What happened to our God? I thought our God was great and mighty. And, and yet to see the enemy gain an upper hand. And this is what we're going to do. But the reminder to all is that the story doesn't end here. It doesn't end in chapter 3. It continues on through the chapters. And we're going to see as we go on in the chapters, we're going to see God having victory and experiencing great victory over the enemy of the Jews. And so let's begin to read in verse 1 of Esther chapter 3. It says, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadah, Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. You know what, let's look at this. It says, after these things. What does he mean after these things? I want you to know that there's a time lapse between chapter 2 and chapter 3. There's some time that has gone through and it's about five years later after Esther became queen. And so now we're looking at five years later. You know what, you look at the great victories, right? You look at the, 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 the great victory that the Lord had in, 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 in uh, raising up Esther as a queen. And, and one of the things that we should always understand is that either we're going to be in a trial or coming out of a trial or going into a trial, right? And so as we think of these things, know that with Esther, that you know what, everything was well for the next five years. And then comes the enemy. And isn't that the way the enemy works when the trials come? When you least expect them, you think to yourself, all is well, what's going on? Things are going great, things are well. And all of a sudden you're hit. And you're hit with a massive trial. You're hit with a massive attack. And I just want you to know, always be prepared. And, and this is why the Lord has, script, uh, has, has messages like what we're giving today, always to remind us that, that you know what, to be hopeful, to know that the way God uh, has, has proven himself in times past is the same way that he will prove himself today and, and tomorrow. And what we're told here is that King Xerxes, which was another name for King Ahasuerus, what does he do? He promotes Hitler, or I should say Haman. And as he promotes Haman, he's, we're told that he actually give, gave him just an amazing position in the kingdom. We're not told why he was promoted, but knowing the, the, uh, the character of Haman, I'm sure he, he achieved this promotion deceitfully, and I'm sure he, you know what, he did it in a, in a manner that wasn't honorable. And so when we look at what's happening here, we see that Haman is now promoted to the second most powerful position in the kingdom. And we're talking now about the Persian kingdom. We're talking about the Persian Empire. 
Haman is promoted to the, most, to the second most powerful position in the kingdom. And when we look at Haman, right, we think to ourselves, well, who is this man, Haman? You know, the only thing that we're told of Haman is, is his name and his lineage. It tells us here that he's an Agagite. And what is an Agagite? This can be one of two things. There was a region that was, that was there. It was a, a region of, of Agites, Agagites, and, and there it was there in the Persian Empire. So he could have came from this, this region of Agag, right? And, and many believe that to be the case. Or number two, he was possibly a descendant from King Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And let me remind you of of this king and who he was and, and what happened. You know, when we look at King Agag, the king of the Amalekites, we're all familiar with Samuel, the, I'm sorry, with Saul, the, the king of, of Israel, the first king. And we, uh, let me remind you, uh, King Saul was not God's choice. It was really man's choice. And it was man that wanted this king. And so God says, you want a king? I'll give you a king. It's not going to be everything you want. You think you're going to be like the other nations. You think that you're going to, you know what, you're going to copy them and you're going to be like them. But in reality, I'm your God. Why would you need somebody else? But if that's what you want, then I'm going to give you this, God, this king. And so... Saul became king and, and this man was never a man that sought to please the Lord. He was a prideful man. He was a rebellious man. And in his pride and his rebellion, God instructed him, right? He says, I want you to kill the Amalekites. I want you to wipe them out completely and and I want you to wipe them out because these people, remember, they attacked. They attacked you as as you came out of Egypt and as you came out of Egypt in your quest to the promised land, the Amalekites attacked you. And because they attacked you, I promised you that I would wipe them out one day. And in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, we have that promise from the Lord. But what happened with King Saul is that he didn't want to obey the Lord. Remember, in his pride and his rebellion, he says, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't need to do what God tells me to do. I do what I want to do. And that's usually what pride, uh, prideful people do, right? They think that they know best. And even though God tells us to do certain things, they do the opposite, thinking that, you know what, I know what I, what I need to do. And so he's instructed, wipe out the Amalekites. And so Saul goes out, he battles them, and he doesn't wipe them out. And he actually brings the king alive. And so Samuel comes and Samuel asks, what is this king doing here? What is he? Why did you bring him? And what are all these animals doing here that I told you to wipe out every ounce of life in that nation? And, and so Samuel says, you know what? The Lord is going to take your kingdom away for your rebellion and your disobedience, your pride, God can't work with a prideful person. 
And so what Samuel does is Samuel gets the king himself and he kills him himself. But what happens is that as he allowed the king, as he allowed the others to live, guess what we have today? A descendant of Agag. And there was always a battle between the Jews and the Amalekites. You know, as we look at at this descendant, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that, uh, that this is who it is. That he's a descendant. He's from the lineage of the Amalekites, of, of King Agag. And so as we have this, let's keep reading on now. Now that we know who this Haman is, a descendant, and now here he is and in the second most powerful position of the kingdom with lots of power. And verse 2 says, And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, that, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. You know, as we look at this, right? Based on the fact that he was the second most powerful man in the kingdom, everyone was to bow to him, just like they would bow to King Xerxes. They were asked to bow now to Haman. And we see all the king's servants, right? It's the king's servants that are what? That are paying the respect. They're the ones that are bowing anytime. Can you imagine that? Anytime when, when, uh, when Haman would walk through the kingdom, uh, through the palace, you can imagine, right? Everybody would bow down to him and this prideful man would love it. Imagine wherever you walked, all the king's servants, everyone would bow down to you. I think that can really gain or actually destroy a man. If that man's heart isn't right, I mean the pride that will build up in his, in his head and in his heart. And so Mordecai refused to bow down. He says, I'm not going to bow down to him. And why wouldn't Mordecai bow down to him? Think about that, right? I mean, shouldn't he pay respect to the authority? Right? I mean, we're all called to what? Give honor to those that Honor is due, right? I mean, we may not always respect the person, but we respect the office, don't we? And so what do we do? We, we pay honor and respect. And, and we're told of this in Romans 13, verse 7, that we're called to do this. But why was Mordecai doing this? Some may say, well, if he bows down to them, then he's breaking the commandment. I want you to know that as we look at this, right? As we look at the commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, we're told that, he was, that the Jews weren't to bow down to a carved image. But as they pay respect, there's nothing wrong with that. Remember King David as he bowed down to King Saul in 1 Samuel 24, verse 8. If they weren't instructed, if they, were, if they weren't 
to bow down to that which held an office of authority, then I don't think David would have done that. But David does it in 1 Samuel 24, verse 8. So it's not a case about bowing down. Mordecai tells us, and he gives us a clue here, that he refused to bow down because he was a Jew. And if Haman was a descendant of King Agag, Mordecai was not going to pay homage he was not going to pay respect. He was not going to honor the people's enemy. Don't you think that he would have known his lineage? If he knew he was an Amalekite, he already knew God's word, which was what? To, to make sure that they were all wiped out. And this man, I mean, this, this descendant, I mean, uh, you know what, you just know, I mean, one thing about Mordecai, he would have seen him and he would have seen his behavior and, and he probably knew something about him. And he refuses to bow down to him. And the king's servants, they keep asking him, why, why won't you do this? And they were encouraging him, hey, you know what, you're breaking the king's commandment. He's asking all of us to bow down to Haman, so why aren't you going to do that? And Mordecai refused, and he just told them, it's because I'm a Jew. And so what happened? They tell Haman about Mordecai. They say, hey, there's this guy that's a Jew that refuses to bow down to you. Man, who'd want to have friends like that? Remember, they're all fellow king's servants, right? I mean, they're all one. They're all serving together. You know what Proverbs 17 verse 9 says? He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. You know what? This is why we're always called to choose friends wisely. And we know one thing about friends, right? Friends become what? They become closer than brothers, don't they? How many of you have friends that are closer than your own blood? You know, many of you have friends that are closer than your own blood. And that's why the scriptures say that in Proverbs 18, verse 24, it says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the scriptures. One thing that we know and one thing that we can assume correctly here is that Haman was clueless about Mordecai. Probably as he walked by, right, he thought everybody was bowing down to him. I mean, you can imagine this prideful man walking around and just seeing everybody bowing down. So he would just walk past people thinking that everyone was bowing to him. But yet, he was unaware of Mordecai. And the fellow king's servants, what did they do? They ratted on their friend. They ratted on their fellow servant. And they told Haman that, hey, guess what? There's this man that isn't bowing down to you. And so what does he do? Let's read in verse 5, he says. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. Imagine that. You can only imagine, right? Haman was probably thinking to himself, you know what, I want to catch this guy. I want to catch this man. I want to see if he's not going to bow down to me, right? So he's probably walking, right, in anticipation and, and he's keeping his eye on this Mordecai, right? And as he walks by, he sees that Mordecai doesn't bow down to him and 
He's probably looking at him and you're not bowing down to me. And you think to yourself, he was filled with wrath. He's, it, it, the writer's telling us what's going on in his heart. His heart is now filled with wrath because of his pride. And, and he expects everyone to bow down to him. And he's upset that, no one is, that someone is not yielding to him. And so what does he do? Let's see, verse 6. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahuzeras, the people of Mordecai. You know what, you could imagine all the thoughts that are running through his mind. And remember, when your heart is filled with anger, you are opening a door for who? For Satan to work, right? Remember that. When you are angry, when you have, you know what, when you are just filled with anger and wrath and hate, I mean, you are just opening the door for the enemy to work in your life. As a, as an, and as a non-believer, I mean, you're just a... You know what? He can do many things through somebody that is filled with hate and with wrath. We see that. You know what? Turn on the news. People that are haters, right? I mean, they're killing people. They're, they're, they're shooting people. They're just taking people out. Everywhere in the news you read about this. And so here we have the same thing. And, and he thought to himself, you know what? It's not just enough for me to take Mordecai out. You know what I'm going to do? We're going to take out all the Jews. All the Jews in the Persian Empire. Where does such a thought come from? Think of that. Where does such a thought come from to destroy a whole nation of people? It's Satan himself, isn't it? I want you to know that throughout history, the Jews have always been under attack. The people of God have always been under attack and by the enemy. And I'll give you some of these nations so that you can see really the result of, of, a, of a nation that attacks Israel as well as just the, the, the things that they do and, and the results of, uh, of this type of behavior. When you look at Egypt, Egypt attempted to annihilate the Jews, didn't they? Remember, they were multiplying and Pharaoh says, we've got to get rid of these guys. Again, inspired by Satan. This isn't just a thought that comes from a normal man. When you have an individual that thinks of destroying a complete nation of people and they're a people of God, you know that this has to come from who? From Satan himself. Remember, the Babylonians attempted also to destroy the Jews. You have Persia right here with the same thought. Did you know that the Greeks also outlawed Judaism? And not only the Greeks, but also the Romans. The Romans, what? Attempted to destroy the Jews, right? They went into Jerusalem. They killed all of them and, and they just wanted to destroy Jerusalem, their temple and everything else. And you look at all of these nations. Where are they today? The only one that remains is who? Is Egypt and Persia. But every single one of them, these world powers, they lost their power, didn't they? 
As it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the result. These are the consequences of nations that come against Israel. Looking at God's word that stands true. And, and for us as, a, as the United States of America, understand one thing that we are to continue to pray for Israel. And we are to continue to remain as an ally to Israel. If we want to be blessed as a nation, I mean, the God's promise has been true in times past. Look at what happened to Germany. They fell. Look at what happened to Russia. The same thing. Both of them attempted also to annihilate the Jews. But yet we've been blessed. And why are we blessed? Because we remain as an ally to Israel. And we need to continue to pray that that we would remain as an ally because you have a whole party that hates Israel. I don't know if you know that, but there is one of our governing parties today that doesn't want to have a relationship with Israel. And we need to pray that we remain as a support to Israel. And this all started, what, in the garden, didn't it? Remember when Satan deceived Eve and Adam sinned? And a war was declared between God's people and Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And this war even continues today. Anti-Semitism. I mean, how many people just hate the Jews for no reason? We know the reason. As we talked about earlier, there's a battle, there's a warfare, it's a spiritual battle. You know, for us as Christians, why do people hate Christians? Think of that, right? I mean, it's not that we're at war with people, right? We're not, we're, we're not haters of people. We're lovers of people, right? We want people to be saved. But yet, how many people hate Christians? Who do you think inspires that? It's the enemy. And so as we return to the events here, Haman declared what? To annihilate the Jews and... When and where would he do this? Let's read in verse 7 and, and we'll see what he does to determine this. It says in verse 7, In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast per, that is, lots before Haman, to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. In the month of April, this is the month of April in the twelfth year of the reign of King Xerxes. And they cast lots, right? The lots were cast to determine the day and the time when this would take place. And the lot fell on March 7th, which was a year later, right? Because they're in April. And so on March 7th, almost a year later, the plan was to be executed. And guess what they did? They cast lots, again, seeking their gods for answers, right? I mean, that's what they did. But I want to remind you that there are no other gods. Remember this, there are no other gods. God claims this both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. People think that there's other gods. I think, how many of us believe that there were gods aside from Almighty God? 
before we became Christians. I think most of us thought that. I believed that. I thought there was other gods. I thought, you know what, sometimes I would even pray to these others, right? And you think that they're alive and that they're real. But in reality, now that we know the truth, there are no other gods. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God's Word declares this and we believe it. It says there in Isaiah 46 verse 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. There is no other gods, there is none like me. Look at what the New Testament tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. The reminder for all of us that we know that there's only one God, the true and the living God, God Almighty, and there's no one else but Him. And the others, we think to ourselves, well, who initiated all this worship of these other gods? Guess who it is? It's Satan himself. To steal the worship of God. Isn't that what he wanted to do in heaven? He wanted to be worshipped like God. And so he, he led this rebellion and he wanted this worship. And so God cast him out of heaven. And his plan is always to take the worship away from God and bring it to himself. And all of these idols that people pray to and worship, guess what they are? They're only instruments of Satan to take away. The worship of God. Well, they cast a lot. And what's awesome about this, because we have Almighty God, God is sovereign over all things, guess what He did? He says, okay, you know what? It's going to land on March 7th. I'm going to allow it. Or it's not going to land on March 7th. I'm going to allow it to land on March 7th, which gives me enough time to do what? To prepare Mordecai and Esther. have time to prepare them for the works that I called for them. Proverbs 16 verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Remembering that God is sovereign over all things. That God is always in control, even though we don't see it. Even though these plans are going on behind our backs. And believe me, there's plans. I mean, and I'm always aware of that, especially as a, as a pastor of a church. I see this all the time now. When I'm hit with things, I think to myself, man, there was always the enemy that was behind, behind all of this, right? And all of a sudden, he picked the perfect time, the perfect day to attack. And I know that this just didn't come just today. It was already planned. It was already planted in the ears, and I'm sorry, in the, in the minds of people to attack the, the church, to attack us. It's constantly happening. We're not to be ignorant regarding these things. As we read in verse 8, it goes on to say, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. You know, again, Amen's already developing this plan and this is the way the enemy works. He uses people to develop plans. Plans to come against the people of God. Again, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Don't think that these people that come against you, that it's them that are coming against you. It's, it's the spirit that's behind these people that's moving them to attack you. And so Haman goes to the king, and what does he do? He speaks lies. 
And what does he tell them? That he says that the Jews, they're not keeping the they're not keeping your laws. They're not keeping Persian laws. And we know for a fact that it was a lie. And then the next thing out of his mouth, mouth was that you know what? We got to destroy them. We need to destroy them. And guess what? I'm going to fund the expense by donating 375 tons of silver. This was a lot of money. Haman was an extremely wealthy man. And he knew in order to get the king on my side, remember the king had just come, I mean he had had a battle with Greece and and we know that when he fought against Greece that he was defeated and you know a lot of those riches, a lot of that money went into that and so in order to, to get the king on his side, he says, I'll donate this money so that we can complete the plan. I mean, again, he didn't care how he was going to do it. He just wanted to get the, the, the people of God out. He wanted them destroyed. Some say that the 375 tons of silver that that equated to about $30 million. $30 million. That's a lot of money, isn't it? You could imagine the wealth of Haman. He's willing to donate this money to get what? His plan approved to exterminate the Jews. Haman was just a pawn of the enemy. He was a puppet of Satan. And how do we know that he was a puppet of Satan? Because he was following exactly what Satan does. As we're told here, right? Haman was what? He, was, he, he wanted to murder and he was lying. And remember what it says of the devil in John 8.44. It says that the devil what, is a murderer and a liar. And that's exactly what Haman was. The only truth out of Haman's, Haman's mouth was that the Jews have different laws, and that is true. Let me ask you this. How many of you are, are reading the Bible plan that we gave out? Show of hands. There's a few of you that are doing that. Praise the Lord. And as we're in Exodus, we're reading about the laws, aren't we? And when you read the laws, of God. I mean, they are so different than man's laws, aren't they? As we look at the laws of God, you know that because those laws are just and they're fair, that you know that those laws came from who? They came from God. No man would have thought of those things. And they are far different than any other laws. Because we know the laws of man are not the laws of God. And he was absolutely right in that. As we go to verse 10 and we read, Then Esther spoke... I'm sorry, wrong chapter. So verse 10 says, So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king gives Haman his signet ring. And I want you to know that the fact that he gave him his signet ring, and so you know what a signet ring is? It is a ring that had the king's seal on it. And the fact that he had the king's seal on it gave him a lot of power, gave him great power, gave him an enormous amount of power. Haman could have done whatever he wanted to do. He could have written any law and just put the king's signet ring on it and it would have became what? It became law. 
And we're told here that Haman was the enemy of the Jews. Haman was the enemy of the Jews. See, as we read this now, as we see this, right, we can understand why Mordecai, why he didn't bow down to the enemy. See, he knew the enemy seeks to destroy God's people. Mordecai probably wasn't aware of the plans that he had, but Mordecai certainly did have discernment from the Lord, didn't he? He was able to discern the spirit behind Haman. That's what discernment is. You're able to discern the spirit behind a man. And Haman knew, I mean, uh, Mordecai knew, you know what? This Haman guy, he's bad news. There's a certain spirit about him, and I know it's not of God, it's of the enemy, and I'm not going to be bowing down to the enemy. There's no way that I'm going to bow down to Satan. And so you can see that, right? As Mordecai said, I'm a Jew. And so to know I only bow down to God, there's no way that I'm going to bow down to the enemy. There's no way that I'm going to bow down to Satan. And it's revealed to us here. As we keep reading on in verse 11, it goes on to say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court Oh, wrong chapter again, I'm sorry. Verse, uh, chapter 3, I'm in chapter 4, giving you next week's study. Let's read verse 11 of, of uh, Esther 3. It says, And the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. It appears that the king, he, re, he, he rejected the plan of, uh, of uh, Haman to give him the money. And so he says, Guess what? I'll give you the people. I'll take care of the money. Don't worry about that. And then verse 12 says, Then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded, to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the, same, in the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. You know, as we see this, right, it's the 13th of April. And the decree was written by the king's secretaries, as Haman commanded. And it was sent to all the princes. It was sent to all the governors. It was sent to all the local officials in their own language. It went out throughout the provinces, throughout the lands. Imagine, they're getting word that the Jews are going to be exterminated on this day, on March 7th. And it's sealed with the king. So you could imagine as, as it's going out, all the people are like wondering, what is going on here? They want to exterminate these people. And let's read verse 13. It goes on to say that, And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. So you can imagine, the letter goes by couriers to everybody throughout the land. All Jews were to be destroyed. And I'm, we're not just talking about the men. We're talking about the old, the young, the women, and the children. They were to annihilate the Jews completely, exterminate. This was a complete genocide, as we have seen time and time again through the history of Israel. Nations that want to annihilate them. Hitler... And so many others, right? 
Egypt, Pharaoh. You think of these nations, all of them, right? It's a diabolical plot. It only comes from Satan to wipe out a certain people. How evil is that? And you know what was also a diabolical incentive? For those of you that kill the Jews, you'll get their property. An incentive. Get their property. You know what? Kill them, right? There's a benefit to this. Not only are you obeying the king's command, but you're also going to get richer, right? Because you're going to get their property. Let's read verse 14. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Sushan, the citadel, so the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Sushan was perplexed. This became law. And becoming law made the citizens responsible for obeying the law. They were to kill him on that one day. And you know how sick this is? Look at what it tells us they do after that. The king and Haman have a drink after the law was sent out. Think about that. After they sent out the after they sent out the decree, they're gonna party it up. They're gonna drink. They're gonna celebrate. How demonic is that? But I do want to share with you. Everyone was perplexed. It says both the non and the Jews. They were perplexed. How can this be? Where is our God? How can He allow this to happen? You know, isn't this what happens to us many times when the enemy attacks, when there's a trial? When there's a major attack on your life? And you know, you know what? All of these things, they came all of a sudden out of nowhere and, and you're being attacked and you think to yourself, where did they come from? What happened here? You know, I remember my wife and I, and you know what, as it happened, what, a year ago, and uh, over a year ago, when she got, you know, she got hit by the cancer, then I got hit, and I was, I was going to the doctor, and they were saying I was going through problems, and I'm thinking to myself, how does all this happen together at one time? You think to yourself, was this really... I mean, is this really what can happen to a couple? And my wife and I, and you think to yourself, man, there must be somebody behind this. But how do we handle these things? How do we handle major warfare? How do we handle attacks? How do we handle when we're hit with things like this? Do we just lose, go off the deep end and just lose our hope and just say, God, I, I can't take this. I'm not certain. You know what? I... Forget it. I'm not even going to church anymore. I just want to stay in my home and just, you know what? Give up. How do we handle things like this? I want to encourage you. See, you and I, we know the ending. You know the ending of Esther. And I want to know, I want to share this with you. If we know the Word of God, we also know our ending. 
there's no reason. There is no reason to lose our faith and our trust. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, like, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Believe me, every single one of us will go through these times when our world seems to be falling apart, when our hope and trust in God is being challenged. Every single one of us are going to go through these times. And as God has proven Himself faithful, God will prove Himself faithful in your life. Look at what Paul shared in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. We don't want you to be ignorant. And this is why we're going over these things. Because God doesn't want you to be ignorant in His power, in the victory that's in Him, and, and what He's capable of doing. He says, We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength. Imagine that. We were hopeless. We were without strength. We were burdened so that we despaired even of life. We had given up on life. And if Paul goes through this, he knows that we go through this too. But we just say, you know what? I can't take it anymore. This is too much for me to handle. How can I go through this? How can I, how can I re- continue on? He says, yes. We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead who delivered us for, from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that, we will, that He will still deliver us. Let me remind you God is the same yesterday, today and forevermore. He doesn't change when you're faced with the trials, when you go through these trials, understand this, that we have our trust in the God who raises the dead. There is no one else that has this power but God alone. There's no one else that can raise people from the dead but God alone. And this is a God that's on our side. This is a God that we serve. This is Almighty God who we know personally and who we belong to. Look at what Paul also said at the end of his life. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, But the Lord stood with me, strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We serve a mighty God. You serve Al Shaddai, God Almighty. You serve a God that sees Al Roy. He is a God that can see all things. He is not a God that is too busy for us. He is not a God that says, you know what, I can't help. He is not a God that says, I cannot go and intervene. I can't, you know what, I can't do these things. These forces are too strong for me. He is not that type of God. He is a creator of all things. He has all power, all might, all strength. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There is no one greater than Him. And that is who we worship. That's what's so amazing about the God that we serve. 
We don't know the ending, but we can trust in God that He knows the ending and it's always good for His people. This is why He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. We can rest in these things. And for those of you as we close here, for those of you that may not have experienced such a trial, as we see here, we don't lose our faith and hope in God. And for those of you that are going through a trial, you've got to place your hope and trust in God. And for those of you that have come out of trials where God carried you, you knew and know where your hope and trust was in and who delivered you. You know, there's many of you that are going through some major, ma- major challenges. And God's the answer to it all. God never disappoints. And God is always perfect in His timing. God has a perfect track record when it comes to His children. And all he wants to do is continue to grow our faith and grow our trust. And your faith and trust, God desires that it would shine like gold as it passes through the fire, that it would bring him glory and honor. I pray that you are uplifted by this. I pray that you are encouraged by this. I pray that that many of you that, that are challenged right now, that are going through issues that you would know that God is in complete control. He is sovereign. And in the very end, He's going to work all things together for good. He's moving the pieces. And Satan will not overtake you. And Satan will not have victory. And the enemy will not win. But God will prevail. And He always does. His children, you are the apple of His eye. He loves you. He knows He numbers every hair on your head. Numbers them. He just doesn't know the total number, but he knows that one hair that's on the right side, right above your ear, and he knows the hair that's on your back corner, and he has them all numbered. That's how special you are to him. Every single one of us, you are special, and God loves you. You know what, as we have talked about this, I want us to, you know, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you just for a few minutes as I'm going to ask you just to gather in in groups of in groups of three or four and I know that God is going to put you in a group where somebody is going through a major problem and be encouraged to have to reveal you don't have to give all details but just reveal to them that you need prayer and may they pray for you whatever you're going through whatever problem that may be be the one that is asking for prayer for strength for God's will for God's power for God to be glorified through your trial 
And I know that as we gather together, I know that God is going to move and God is going to answer. You don't receive if you don't ask. And so let me pray and then you can gather together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just this time, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that, that, Lord, that we can be reminded, Lord, that you are Al Shaddai, that you are Al Roy, that you are Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we heard this story, that we would be encouraged, Lord, to know that, that Lord, that you are in complete control of, of the life of your children and that you work all things together for good, Lord, and that you will give us the victory, Lord, and you won't allow the fire to burn us or the rivers to overtake us. Lord, we're the apple of your eye. You love us. And you have great plans for us. And nothing will ever separate your love for us. Be glorified and magnified through our trials. Help us to comfort one another and encourage one another as we have been comforted by you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.